Yes, bring your stuff, because we're going to sit over here and we're going to slip out that door so we can oh. go get Emerson. So far right. Yeah, Look at yeah. You're so cute. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, thank you. I'm very brave. Oh, well, <laughs> pray, pray. And I'm going to start early. Did you see Leah down there? No, I didn't. Yeah, so I just... Yeah, so either... Right, either here or... Let's go, sit here. Okay. Good morning, ladies. I'm going to get started a few minutes early this morning, and uh, it's me again. <laughs> Janet, uh, I spoke with her on Monday, and she's recovering from COVID, but when I spoke to her Monday, I said, oh, please tell me that you feel better than you sound, because you sound terrible. And she said, I do feel much better than I sound, but I'm still not there yet. And so she wanted me to extend her warmest greetings to you all, and she's so sorry that she could not be here. But um, in the best interest of you all, as you prepare for Thanksgiving, she just wanted to stay away and uh, out of love and not expose any of you to uh, COVID. So please remember Janet and Jim both as they recover from COVID. And um, I can promise you this right here, right now, this is the last time you will hear me lecture in 2022. <laughs> uh, because after Thanksgiving, which is next week, so happy Thanksgiving to you all, uh, then the following week, December 1st, will be our Christmas luncheon. So I know your small group leaders have told you about that. And so we will look forward to being together then. And then one of the reasons that I'm starting early is I have a lunch date today at 11.15. This is my daughter-in-law's mother. And we share the most adorable granddaughter, Emerson Lee. And they are having a Thanksgiving feast for the grandparents downstairs in Fellowship Hall. So we've got to scoot out and go pick Emerson up and enjoy that Thanksgiving feast. So that's why I'm getting started. And my goal is to get you out of here no later than 11.10. So you can go do your grocery shopping for next week. You can get that turkey. Or maybe you need to pull it out and thaw it. So with that... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and open us with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you with so much thanksgiving and gratitude what, for what you have done for us. We thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of coming here each week and studying it together and learning together so that we can become more like you and that we can be your witnesses to other people who need a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I lift up Janet and Jim to you now especially and ask for their continued recovery and their healing, their complete healing from COVID. And Lord, bring Janet back safe to us in your time. 
I ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing in the book of James. And Janet's title for the whole series on James was Practical Evangelism. So as a recap, James is not a book of doctrine. It is not a book of theology, but it is a guidebook for those who are already believers. And he had to correct some uh, wrong thinking, some behaviors that were occurring uh, to these Jewish believers that he wrote this letter to. You remember, it was addressed to the Jewish believers who were scattered throughout uh, the Roman Empire because of persecution. And so Janet asked the question in the title of this lesson, what does every believer have in common? And my conclusion is we are all witnesses for Jesus Christ. And people are watching us to see what kind of witness we have. So with that, uh, you'll remember uh, Janet told us uh, last week when I talked from her PowerPoints that in Acts 1-8, just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then in Acts 1, that did come to pass. After the stoning of Stephen, those first believers who were all Jewish believers were scattered because of the persecution. So they are out, and James had been their pastor, First Church Jerusalem. So he is writing to them, to encourage them and to admonish them on some things that they needed to get right with their witness. So let's go. Um, he, I'm going to go back and pick up the last verse of chapter 1 before we dive into chapter 2 because they fit together. Uh, in chapter 127, James said, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So to look after orphans and widows in their distress means to have compassion and mercy on those who can do nothing for you. This is motivated out of your heart contrasted with the religion that were just the outward rituals that did not come from a heart motivation and therefore they were useless. So, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, that's simply to be obedient to God's commands. If we're obedient to what he's commanded, then we will not be polluted by the world. So now in chapter two, James begins, my Brothers and sisters, remember, he's talking to people who are already believers. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. The heading in your Bible either said favoritism prohibited or favoritism forbidden. So he gives this example. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. 
and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And if you'll remember in chapter 1, he said that those evil thoughts are born from within, that it is those evil desires that are within us, that temptation comes not from God, but it's born out of an evil desire. We know we're not supposed to judge, but by showing favoritism, we have judged. And by saying to the rich man, oh, you sit here, what can that rich man do for you? Is that that selfish desire for if I rub shoulders with the rich person, then they can give me some kind of clout or power because of my association with them, while the poor man can do nothing for me. This is strictly prohibited. We have become judges with motivi- motivated by our own evil thoughts, and we're judging from the world's view. Remember back in chapter 1 uh, that James stated that uh, the poor ought to take pride in their position as children of God, and the rich should be humbled because all their worldly goods, their material possessions will fade away like the flower that's burned up. They need to be humbled by their position in God. And I uh, love Kara Pierce was our uh, fearless leader in leaders meeting last week. And uh, along with Kara's wisdom, we also gained some wisdom from her dad who was a pastor. And her dad said, all are equally in need of Jesus Christ at the foot of the cross. And that's how God views us, and that's how we need to view everyone as the same. All right. So now in James 2, 5 through 7, he goes on to say, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. Okay, just think about that for a minute. We just had this lottery that was all over the news and people were crazy about it, over a billion dollars. The poor, all of us who are rich in faith, will inherit the kingdom far greater than any earthly possession we could possibly have. Just think about that for a moment. Inherit the kingdom. This promise to all who love him. But when you show favoritism, you have dishonored the poor. He goes on to say, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Really, James, his indictment here is against those believers who are showing favoritism. He's going to address the rich oppressors later on in his letter who were continuing to do business as they had before they became believers. So he's going to address them specifically. But right now, his point is about those who show favoritism. 
He says, if you really, and I emphasize that really because who can really keep it? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, which is love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. It's called the royal law because this law is from the king of kings. God told Moses in Leviticus 19, 18, that this is a command that his people were to love your neighbor as yourself. But, James says, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Oh, this part right here. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Ladies, it is us as humans, people of the world, who rank sins. God does not. We are all sinners because none of us can keep the whole law. He goes on to say, For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So see how he's equating these two um, sins in Leviticus were punishable by death. And But we know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. That favoritism, the wage of that is death just as much as adultery and murder. That is a sobering thought. He goes on to say, Mercy triumphs over judgment. This harkens back to Micah 6, 8. We'll remember, uh, what does God require of you, O man? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. So James says here, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, the law that gives freedom. We are no longer as believers under condemnation. Because we've accepted the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And the debt has been paid for our sins. But we have, he has extended grace and mercy to us. But we are going to be judged by our works. So I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians about that in just a moment. Um, so we are to treat others with mercy, not judgment. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, if anyone builds on this foundation, that is the foundation of Jesus Christ. You have been saved, you have salvation, but you build on it with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day, that is judgment, the day of judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. 
If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. I don't want to be there that, as one just running who barely makes it. I really want my heavenly rewards. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, 7, in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Again, it ties so beautifully with what we learned in Micah. Now, we're going to move into the section, the controversial section about deeds. You recall that uh, there was controversy when uh, uh, James was being considered for the canon, for inclusion in our New Testament, because some argued that James, with its emphasis on deeds, uh, was promoting a works-based salvation, and that it was in direct contradiction to Paul. But we know from study that's not true, and the argument won out, and it was included in our canon, and so I wanted to set up this section before we moved into that scripture with a couple of quotes and some verses that will show that Paul and James were not at odds in what they were saying. John Calvin said, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. Simple but profound and then J. Vernon McGee, one of my grandmother's favorites, I can hear that man's voice from the radio, said, faith is the root of salvation, which is emphasized by Paul. Works are the fruit of salvation, emphasized by James. Let's go on and look at some scriptures that are supportive. Ephesians 2.10, written by Paul, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Again, in Titus 3.8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And then Peter said in 1 Peter 2.12, live such godly lives, such good lives among the pagans that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So those good deeds are meant to point to God. That is the purpose. They are a witness of our faith, a witness of our salvation. So, we move into this section of faith and deeds, James 2, 14 to 19. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? So, that appears to be a contradiction, but we look at it in context and we know it is not a contradiction at all that our salvation is through faith. 
Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. It's useless. It does no good. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Again, this is going back to that Jewish mindset, uh, that pharisaical mindset, that it was a list of items that you did, rituals that you performed, and you could check them off the box. And it's no, it is motivated by the heart. And if it is in your heart, it, those deeds will come pouring out. Uh, James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And then he goes on to say, you believe there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It is not enough to believe that God is God. Because the demons not only believe God is God, but uh, they shudder at that thought, but they do not have faith in God. You see the difference that he's trying to point out there? Okay, you remember last week I referenced the t-shirt that my friend gave me that said, if the words are in red, do what he said. And then if the words are in red on a blue background, you can't read them. So just use your imagination. These are the words of Jesus, though in white, they are the red letters. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least, the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So James is just echoing the words of Jesus that we've already studied from the Olivet Discourse in the beginning of our study. He's not introducing something different. He goes on to say in James 2, 20 through 24, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did, notice the action, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says... Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. 
And then here's a very controversial statement, but taken in context, we understand there is, in fact, no controversy. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. What James is saying is a true, genuine faith will not sit and do nothing. A true, genuine faith will produce action. And that is what Abraham did. I loved the exercise that Janet had for us in the question about the roll call of the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11. And just going through each of the people who made that roll call. And when I answered that question, I went through and I underlined the action. The action that each person did. Their faith was evidenced by their action. So let's see what Jesus has to say about that. The words in red, John 15, 5 through 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This is exactly what James is saying. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. They are no good. Dead wood does not produce fruit. And so a a dead limb is completely useless except for firewood to be burned up. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Listen to this. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And that's James' point. I love that this chapter closes and that James uses Rahab the prostitute as an example of faith. Now remember who his audience was. His original audience were the Jewish believers. What do we know about Rahab? First, she's a woman. Second, she's a Gentile. And third, she's a sinner. It's in her name. She's a prostitute. And James uses her as an example of faith. And I have to say that it bothered me a little bit as I thought about this. I'm like, does Rahab ever get to shake that description of her as prostitute? Because she's called Rahab the prostitute in Joshua 2.1 where we first find her. She's called Rahab the prostitute in Hebrews 11.31 in the roll call of faith. And she is called Rahab the prostitute here in James. But then as I pondered it, I thought, oh, God, you are so good to give us this example and to show us that Rahab didn't have to clean herself up before she came to faith in the one true God. She believed just as she was. She believed that God was, in fact, who he said he was and that he was going to conquer and he would be the victor. 
And because she believed it, she acted in faith. So let's see what James says. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So the body without the spirit is like a body in the morgue, dead, lifeless. It can't even help itself, much less anyone else. That's how James describes faith without deeds. Authentic, genuine faith will spur us into action. And then this note on Rahab, the one place in Scripture where she's not referred to as Rahab the prostitute was when she was listed in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And is that not beautiful? So I close with this. I found this quote, and I thought it was appropriate. The gospel is written a chapter a day by deeds that you do and by words that you say. Men read what you say, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these words of admonition and encouragement from James that we, too, as believers, can take in and understand how you would have us to behave, how you would have us to represent you to a lost and dying world. Lord, may we be that. May we be your disciples, and people will know your love and your mercy by how we conduct ourselves with love and mercy. Lord, we give you thanks and all praise and glory. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy and hope to see you all December 1st.